morning, everyone. Jim Laird here from uh, sunny Largo, Florida. Maybe I'm getting used to things, but it just doesn't seem as muggy anymore. So it's actually a pretty, pretty nice morning. Went for my morning walk with with uh, with Rommel, my dog. And uh, that's always, always nice. Try to walk really early in the morning when it's cool here and go for a couple walks during the day, particularly the evening after dinner. Dr. Stillman has a HTMA uh, course he's going to be releasing at the end of this month. If you'd like to learn more about that course, go in the description below, click on his link tree. He'll have a link to the HTMA uh, in there. Click on that, enter your information. You'll get all the information. Um, you can also find the live webinar he's going to be doing at the end of the month under lives on YouTube. Um, I am adding, we have a course called the Fundamentals of Wellness, which we go through all basic fundamentals that we teach everyone, regardless of whether they're in the medical practice or the coaching practice. We have monthly Q&As. Um, as we add more people, we're going to add more Q&As uh, to help provide you support, troubleshoot, product, provide accountability. Because a lot of times people know what they need to do, but they don't actually do it. So it's a way for us to interact with you and get to know you and get to know your individual contacts so we can kind of customize things for you. And um, I'm adding a straight training component to it. So if you're, especially if you're a beginner, I'm, I'm really good at, at, at two things. I'm really good at introducing beginners to strength training that, that, uh, that works for them. Uh, and, and generally their goals are just to look good and feel good. And I'm really good at, at helping people that have kind of painted themselves into a corner um, with their training, kind of overcome either doing too much or not having enough um, options in their training, so to speak. It's got to kind of help people reorganize. That's, that's two things I'm really good at. My first Q&A is actually this Saturday. Uh, what's today? Thursday, day after tomorrow. I believe I'm doing it at 11 a.m. Eastern. So if you sign up for the Fundamentals of Wellness, you can get in on that Q&A. And I'm going to be able to customize the course and customize everything for, for your needs, essentially. That's what those Q&As will be all about. Those will be recorded. They'll be posted in the course. And there's a link to the Fundamentals of Wellness in the description below if you want to get in on that. Um, if you message me, if you're interested, you message me I'll, uh, on Instagram or drop me an email at jimlaird. Um, at stillmanwellness.com, I'll, I'll send you a discount code. You can get 10% off. So that being said, the topic to today's discussion, the most important thing you need to know about health and where a lot of people kind of go wrong. They don't really understand this principle. This principle like really applies to everything in life, you know, whether it's relationships, whether it's movement, breathing, training, and it's the concept of variability or options okay um and you got to start thinking about things in terms of trade-offs right so if we look at like two cars if we look at a camry and we look at a top fuel dragster you know and, and the fastest top fuel dragsters now are actually running the quarter mile in less time than it would take if you dropped the dragster a quarter mile i i can't remember the exact times but it, it's it's ridiculously insane. If you're watching this and, and you want to Google like the fastest quarter mile time for a dragster, that'd be great. I, I know Camry's probably somewhere in the like, you know, 15, 16 seconds or, or something like that, maybe 17 seconds, depending on the type of camera you have. 
in order for that top field dragster to run that quarter mile at the insane speeds that they're running them at, which is it's just absolutely ludicrous. Like, you, you know, 30 years ago, like a 12 second, you know, 11 second, 10 second quarter mile was, was ridiculous. Now they're running it in like absolutely insane times, but they're going over 300 miles an hour in a, in a quarter mile, which is absolutely sick. Um, I'm a, I'm a total gearhead, by the way, if you didn't know that, but, um, in order to, to be able to run that quarter mile, you give up comfort. Okay. You're basically locked into this tiny cockpit. Um, there's, there's no real comfort. There's a safety cage to keep you from like dying. If you, you crash, you have these little bitty wheels in the front that barely turn. Um, so a lot of times they have to push the car in order to steer it and get it where it needs to go. Big, massive tires in the, in the back. Um, they have to rebuild the engine often because it's under so much force, under so much torque. Uh, you know, we're talking thousands and thousands of horsepower, you know, running highly flammable, explosive fuels. Um, so there's absolutely no practicality. You give up steering, you give up comfort, you give up distance in order to run that quarter mile super fast. Now the Camry, it can't run a quarter mile as fast, but it's comfortable. It gets great fuel economy. You can drive across the country in it. It steers really well. It handles really well. Um, it's a Toyota, very reliable because it's not a high performance machine. You just change the oil and basically nothing ever goes wrong. If you've ever owned a Toyota, there's a couple small exceptions, but if you've ever owned a Toyota, you know, you basically just change the oil, you change the brakes and it runs forever, right? Super reliable, but it's not, you know, you start getting into Lamborghinis and McLarens and BMWs and things like that with twin turbos, things tend to break a lot more. So you tend to give things up to have certain things. Like, you know, if you want a super fancy luxury car, you're probably going to spend a lot more money. You know, if you do the brakes on a Camry, you're looking at probably a couple hundred dollars. You do the brakes on a five series BMW, you're looking at a thousand dollars a wheel, right? So that's the trade-off. Um, the same thing goes for something like blood pressure. Okay. This principle goes to blood pressure. High blood pressure is nor good or bad. It's situational. So if I'm chasing you with a machete, blood pressure is amazing. Okay. You raise your blood pressure. You throw your head back. You run really fast to get away from me. Who's chasing you with a machete. And if you can get like 20 yards ahead of me, uh, you know, from the start, you, you got a good shot, but I'm, I'm a lot faster than people think, especially in short distances. So you get away from me and then you relax and that blood pressure comes back down eventually, right? Um, low blood pressure is bad if I'm chasing you with a machete. Low blood pressure is great if you're trying to go to sleep. So when you get into trouble is you lose the ability to switch between low and high blood pressure, okay? We can carry this over into food, right? Um, you should be able to fast and you should be able to eat a bunch of starch and be okay and not, you know, have issues either way. And that's metabolic flexibility. When you lose the ability to have metabolic flexibility, that's when you tend to run into things like diabetes and, and other issues that are blood sugar related. Um, so all these things um, have their time and place and people tend to get stuck on one side or the other, right? And they can't move back and forth. And, and that's when you get into trouble. Um, the same thing goes for breathing. You know, everybody talks about breathing, okay? So you lay somebody on the floor, how what does a normal breathing pattern look like? 
Well, it's circumferential expansion through the entire rib cage. So when you breathe in, the rib cage expands 360, front to back, side to side, rib cage and belly expand. A lot of people lose the ability to expand their rib cage, or they have a stiff rib cage, or they are, have a compressed rib cage. So that belly, they pooch the belly, and all that air and pressure goes out. Okay. So we want the rib cage to expand, and then we want it to contract. Okay. We want it to expand, we want it to contract. And that helps draw air in and it helps push air out. Where people get into trouble, most people, you'll put them on their back, you'll tell them to take a breath and the ribs will go up and the neck, you know, they'll try and arch off the floor. Okay, this is, a, this is a, a compensatory strategy or a high threshold strategy. That would be compared to the, I'm chasing you with a machete strategy. Not, not a bad strategy if you're being chased by a bear. But not a great strategy if that's what you're just chilling, sitting here. If I'm sitting here and I'm over breathing and I'm having to breathe by, you know, using my neck, my lats, um, you know, that sort of thing, instead of being able to just breathe normally and, and, and calmly, that has ramifications, affects digestion, affects hormones, it affects the way you move. When you're in this extended state, you have less movement options through the hips, through the shoulders. So being able to turn off and breathe with a more relaxed strategy at the appropriate time is super important. Same goes for lifting weights, okay? If you're always pulling your shoulder blades together and you're arching hard and you're constantly reinforcing that pattern and you don't have the ability to relax, flex your spine, you get stuck in this strategy of, an, of, of being jammed into extension, you lose the ability to move in certain ways you get compressed and then you know if you can't shut that off after you're done we end up with people that are walking around jamming their spine together to essentially get their stability and that, that's that's just a generalization there's different manifestations of this if you look somebody like i am a wide the widest of the wide infrasternal angles which means my my rib cage literally goes like that okay um Bill Hartman, who's a, a mentor of mine for many, many years. If you ever check Bill out, um, it, it, your head will hurt for for months uh, when you first start listening to him because he has his his own little lingo. And, I, and I've been watching Bill. I, I, I'm not even on the same planet when it comes to technicality and things, but I'm able to listen to him and watch him and 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 draw information from it and apply it to, to people in my own unique way. But um, Bill's language, when you, if you start watching him, um, he does a, a coaching call every every Thursday morning for free. Um, and if you get on those calls, um, you, your head will hurt for a little while. But if you kind of stick with it and kind of learn his lingo, uh, he, he probably has one of the most complete models that makes sense to me that, I, that I've ever seen from anyone. But um, if, if you listen to him talk, he talks about trade-offs, right, and strategy and and being able to choose the right strategy at the right time. And so a lot of times when you work with people, when you when you have that compression strategy, that arch strategy, it allows you to produce a ton of force. So my body is set up to produce a lot of force. I'm not designed to turn well, whereas my, my, my counter, my colleague who's traveling today, Dr. Stillman, has a really narrow infrasternal angle. His rib cage is straight up, which is going to allow more rotation. He's going to struggle with force production and things like that. I have a tendency to get stuck here, extended. So I do a lot of backwards bear crawls. You know, I squat with a safety squat bar. Um, I do things to help get that stack in place 
so that my hips operate uh, in a uh, in a more efficient way. I have more options. Okay, now if I wanted to do powerlifting meet or push strength again, I would probably have to resort to some of those strategies that you know get that stability. When you're a powerlifter, you want less options. You want to be like a fire hydrant so you can produce the most amount of force possible, right? So that's why training selection matters. If you're working with a golfer, developing that fire hydrant strategy is probably not a good idea or baseball player or somebody has overhead athlete you want them to be able to move through the thorax and through their shoulder blades you want to be able to rotate right and a lot of it goes to do you have the right body for the sport obviously if you're a wide infrasternal angle you're trying to play sports that require a lot of rotation probably not going to work out well for you and usually the the um you know, there's a reason why all the high level athletes tend to look the same in the sport. If you look at swimmers, they all tend to look the same because they have a body that tends to be good at that thing. We tend to chase things that we're good at as opposed to trying to do things we suck at. Like I would be a horrible rock climber. Uh, I would be a horrible swimmer. I actually worked with a lady the other day. Some of the most credible athletes are like synchronized swimming is just like, I can't even like fathom what that would be like like i i have a hard time just floating because i sink to the bottom like when i go snorkeling and things i gotta wear a one life jacket on my chest and another one around my my ass because my legs just take me down like a boat anchor uh, the the idea of like being able to tread water upside down and lift yourself out of the water in a in what looks like a really smooth controlled manner is just beyond my comprehension right so pretty interesting stuff. And, and a lot of people don't understand your body type, your genetics, the parents you have are going to basically determine what you're good at and what you're bad at. And I don't care how hard you work at something, you might be able to do it, but you're not going to be able to perform it at a high level if you don't have the appropriate structure. Like there's probably not going to be anybody from Nepal. Uh, the, if you've ever been to Nepal, especially up in the mountains, these little, little tiny people, uh, they're probably never, ever going to play in the NBA unless they start an NBA league for only Nepal people, right? They're just, that's just not something, but you know, you take Shaquille O'Neal and you're trying to get him up in the high latitude or the high altitudes in Nepal, he's probably not going to function very well. So also we get back to the infrasternal angle stuff. Somebody like Dr. Stillman has a narrow infrasternal angle. He's squished front to back. He has a hard time expanding front to back in his rib cage. That's one of the reasons why people that have narrow infrasternal angles end up with this sway back or they have this little pooch at the bottom that isn't necessarily fat. That's pressure coming down because they can't expand through the rib cage. So there's things we can do to put them in divisions where they can restore that expansion of the rib cage. And then there's exercises we can do in their training program that actually help them open up and manage that as opposed to some of the exercises which are more traditional strength training exercises, which are really designed just to produce more strength and force will sometimes make people like that worse. So there's ways that you can implement certain exercises to actually help people not get pushed further down the path that they're already on. We, we don't wanna take someone like me and do more extension-based exercises for somebody like me who doesn't turn and rotate i'm going to want to be doing things that make me shift and you know rotate enough and you know when i work with with power lifters people like that getting them to like round over a stability ball and breathe after they're done to get them some flexion so they can breathe a little better 
is super important. And then, and then people with narrower infrasternal angles, making sure we're not doing things that are going to compress them even more, um, getting things that open up their rib cage, ex- get them to expand front to back. There's ways that you can add things into um, training programs that don't basically bury people. And, and that's where you get into like the art and the, the uh, it's such an art working with someone who's a high level performer because high level performers, I always compare to like walking on a tightrope, right? You're on this tightrope and, and the idea is, is not to fall off. And the margin between being healthy enough to perform and then not performing is very narrow. When you get to the really, really high level people, it's a really small margin. Um, so it, a lot of it is is learning the art of giving the pe- people the things that they need uh, without taking away their performance. Like if you take Hussein Bolt and or like someone like Deion Sanders or an NBA player who is very explosive, a lot of them will have like what they would call tight hamstrings. But that tightness and that stiffness is allow was what allows them to be explosive and to create that force that's needed. So if you start trying to take somebody who's a high level performer and you start trying to like fix their tightness, you might take away the attribute that makes them really good at what they do. So if that makes sense, if you understand this concept of variability and having options, right? It's kind of like if you're dating somebody, right? And you're a dude and that girl that you're dating looks at you and says, man, this guy's let himself go. He's, he's getting kind of fat. He's not very motivated. He sits in his basement and he smokes weed and he plays video games all day. Doesn't have any ambition. All of a sudden that girl's looking around and going, there's no other girls interested in my guy. And she kind of was like, nobody else wants to be with him. So I, I really don't know if I want to be with him either. Right. So she starts looking around going, oh man, these other guys are taking really good care of themselves. They're in shape. You know, like this, this, I might, I mean, you need to look somewhere else. So if you're a dude and lots of women are interested in you, right? This is kind of controversial, but that's okay. Um, a lot of women are interested in you. Your significant other is probably going to have more interest in you as well because she realizes that you might be able to go somewhere else. But if you're a guy and you've let yourself go and you're in a bad place and you don't have any other options, the chances are your significant other is probably going to lose attraction for you. So there's always great power in having options. It's the same for a job, right? If you work for somebody and that person knows that you could leave and get another job at any time somewhere else, they're going to value you a lot more. They're probably going to pay you a lot more. If you bring so much to the table that you're a really hard person to replace, they're going to do everything they can to keep you, especially if you're really good at sales, right? If you don't have other options, that that employer, the chances of them doing extraordinary things to keep you on the team goes down a lot more. So this principle applies to everything from performance to health. As soon as you start losing variability and losing options, there are trade-offs, right? And sometimes we need to take options away for somebody who's a power lifter. We're going to want to take away some of their mobility so they can produce more force. But there comes a point where that has a consequence where they might get hurt because they're too into that strategy. So it's really a, a, a an art form of managing um, strategies and 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 uh, options, right? And and that's why there's you know bodybuilding, powerlifting. You have off seasons, you have on seasons, you have you know 
phases where you specialize and you take things away and then you have phases where you you go back to general and that's one of the things that's really been lost in in our modern our modern training system is if you look at the russians they would map everything out and they'd be specific for a very short period of time and then after their competition they would decompress like the weightlifters would get away from lifting they would do some bodyweight gymnastic stuff all this stuff they developed as a general base when they were young and then they would do things like the russian weightlifters would play ping pong you know kind of you know keep their nervous system working and athleticism but they would get away from the specific training for weightlifting for a specific period of time allow the body to normalize they'd come off their performance enhancing drugs they'd allow their body to normalize and then they would go back into another training cycle most of the kids now you know they're playing soccer year-round the competitiveness of it they never ever get time off to decompress allow their body to normalize to develop different um energy systems to relax to 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 decompress from mental stress and they just go from you know if you you soccer kids or volleyball kids they go from one season to the next to the next to the next to the next and they never get a chance to switch off to go to the other side of things and that's where they end up you know getting into trouble so if anybody has any questions for me um i'd be more happy to answer them you can put them in the in the comments um, please like and subscribe, hit the bell so that you get notified when we were on here. Uh, it's pretty cool because we're, we're live on Twitter. Uh, we're live on LinkedIn. Uh, we can't stream more than one LinkedIn. So uh, if you're on LinkedIn and you're seeing this, one day you'll have, uh, have us on the feed on, on my channel. And then you'll have Dr. Stillman's channel the next day. We alternate back and forth and we're both on um well, yes, Amy, that is a great question. Breathing seems so natural. And if you look at the way babies breathe when they're on their back, um, you know, they expand circumferentially everywhere, in and out, right? And the babies play with their feet on the floor and they have that natural breathing pattern that's, uh, but yes, stress, modern life, I would say would be the biggest uh, indicator of, and also like you get into, if you study Weston A. Price, um, he looks at how jaws and face shape has changed uh, as we've added more refined food. You know, people like you look at traditional cultures that, that lived a traditional lifestyle. None of them had like teeth issues or um, wisdom teeth removed or anything like that because they had a really wide jaw because they chewed. They had a progression of going from breastfeeding to, the, you know, a lot of times the, the the elders would chew the food up a little bit, the meat in particular, then give it to the child and the child would chew. The food required more chewing, so they develop wide jaws. If you look at these, these, these pictures of these people, so if you end up with a narrow jaw, the chances are you're gonna end up being a, a more of an overbreather. Um, when you're under chronic stress, you tend to breathe through your mouth. That's why we really remind people in the coaching practice, if you're out and about, if you're walking around in Publix or wherever you shop, put the tongue in the roof of your mouth, breathe through your nose. And then that strategy, you know, when you get when you're when you get into this this arch position, you know, I call it the J-Lo position, you tend to overbreathe. You breathe too much. Your your diaphragm, because it can't move up and down as well because of the spinal position, um, it you start breathing with your neck and your your lats and you start getting tight through here so a lot of that and you get stuck in this loop and it leads to digestive issues anxiety if you look at over breathing or mouth breathing the the side effects of that 
the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So getting people to, um, yeah, that's a great, that's a great, great read. You know, and, and the thing about it is, is with breathing, you don't hear too many people talking about how the shape of the exoskeleton affects the way you breathe. So if you're stuck in a position where you can't get the zone of apposition, you know, because you don't want to live in flexion and you don't want to live in extension. You want to live somewhere in the middle and then you choose the right strategy for the task, right? Um, if you can't get into that stacked position where that diaphragm can move up and down, it's going to be very difficult for you to breathe efficiently, right? So you're going to turn into an overbreather, which basically you can't relax, right? And then people like, like me that are very extended have a hard time exhaling. Um, and then you have some people who can't inhale, like Dr. Stillman has a hard time inhaling because he's compressed front to back. And that puts him in a stress state because he's got anxiety because he can't breathe enough. Right. So you it, it kind of you end up getting stuck in this loop. And, we'll, you know, we'll have people in the practice that 